welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast. I'm Raven, and I'm here with Andrew, one of the pastors at Providence Church in Omaha, Nebraska. The goal of this podcast is to form disciples to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Today, we're wrapping up our series over the Trinity by answering your questions. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. It has been an interesting day in our podcast room. Are you caffeinated or are you just running on water? I did drink <laughs> I did drink coffee this morning, <laughs> uh, which I don't usually drink coffee anymore, but I did have a cup, so I'm feeling great. What made you change? I thought normally you just drink green tea. I don't like green tea, actually. What? Yeah. Wait, what? I feel like you just drank it on Monday. I did just drink it on Monday, but I don't really like it. But that was the mm. only thing that was available. I am trying to get into tea, though. I'm also trying to not eat later at night too to help me sleep. So Is it because it keeps you up or gives you bad dreams? I don't think bad dreams, although I have had weird dreams every once in a while recently. But it just I think it just keeps me up and I just heard that it's bad for you and I believe <laughs> it experientially. So Yeah. I feel like every time I eat before bed, well, Kellen will actually cut me off around nine because he's like, You can eat that, but you know you're gonna be up all night. And normally I'm like, No, I'll be fine. I eat something and then if we go to bed by nine thirty I'm still up at 11 and I'm always like, he was is it like right. Is specifically like chocolate or something or is it anything? No, anything. Oh, and really? if I do yeah. fall asleep really quickly, I have the weirdest dreams. No, and you have a weird thing about thinking that every dream is from the Lord. I know you prophesying guys. Prophesying something to Literally. you. Literally. But you don't have weird dreams at all when you eat something before bed? Not usually. That's helpful. I don't remember my dreams though. You don't wake up in the middle of the night and think like, wow, that was weird. Every once in a while, but not often, no. I think you should write it down, one of your dreams, and then... We'll dissect it and see if it's prophetic. All right. Next time I'll try to do that. On the podcast? Yeah, I probably won't do that. <laughs> He's like, uh, no. <laughs> but even Maybe. though- If I write it down, we'll talk about it on the podcast. Unless it's really weird. Really? Okay, I was <laughs> I mean, I'm say. saying maybe. I don't know. Like if you had like a nightmare or something, like a True. really bad dream, would you share that? Honestly, probably because most of my nightmares aren't that bad. So then yes and no. Have you ever had a dream that you wouldn't share on the podcast? Do you think anybody cares anymore that we're still talking about this? Probably not. To this? Well, so anyway, we're going to move on. Today, we're talking about the Trinity and your questions. So the last three weeks, we've talked about God, the Father, God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and have gone through scripture, talked about different misconceptions or even thoughts surrounding the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But today, Today, we want to address specific questions that you may have had during those weeks. Okay, so Raven, before we get into the questions, give us a recap. What have we said so far in the last three weeks? Yeah, so week one, we talked about God being Father, but also we talked about how the God we worship is triune. Tri meaning three, un meaning one. So three in one. He's one God, but three persons. And we looked at God the Father and talked about how God is a loving Father and also the way that we view God as our Father can be impacted by our earthly fathers. So if you want to learn more about that, you can check it out. The second week we talked about God the Son. So we discussed Jesus and how him coming to earth has an impact on our salvation, but not just our salvation in, okay, we're saved from hell and we're going to heaven, but actually inviting us into this love relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And last week we talked about the Holy Spirit and how he is equal to the Father and the Son. And we also talked about his role as well. Our staff team has been working through this stuff. We've been doing podcasts on it. What's either been most impactful or what's like a question that you still have lingering through all of the like reading, talking about it, doing podcasts? 
I think the most helpful thing has just been the fact that we've talked about it because so often I think people steer clear of the Trinity and when it is talked about, it's talked about in very theologically dense terms. And so having it be broken down and being able to think about each piece, whether that's through reading, delighting in the Trinity, through our conversations as a staff team, through the podcasts, it's just breaking it down piece by piece so that I can understand, oh, God is three persons, but he's also one. And I think the biggest question that I have lingering is how do you explain that to someone? Because I struggle with describing the fact that God is one God, but three persons and they're all distinct and they all have distinct roles, but I are not even roles functions. I don't even know. Like I'm so afraid of being heretical when I explain God that I don't know how to explain him. At our church, we just started doing this class on the Trinity for people. And I I shared a story of talking to this guy who wasn't a Christian. And one of his biggest critiques on Christianity was how confusing it felt and how like basically it just wasn't simple enough. And if it's not simple for people to grasp, it's hard to follow that. Or he didn't want to follow something that just made it so confusing. And his prime example was the Trinity. And I do feel like I struggle with that too, of fully understanding why it's confusing or understanding how do you communicate that with somebody. And I feel like, you know, we've talked about, I can know the truths and stuff about it, but it is hard to know how to communicate that all the time. Even saying individual persons. I'm like, is that right? Are they individual? I mean, they're persons, you know, my brain is just working over time. I think that part of what you're saying is also maybe my biggest question is how we believe that God doesn't do something solely in one of the persons of the Trinity, but like they're all inseparable. So they're all Mm -hmm. the one God. So they're all acting yet. We also see that they all are doing different things. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like when Jesus was on earth, he was sent here from the father to do stuff here. That seems like it was just Jesus, maybe empowered by the spirit, but it's primarily the son of God incarnate, like in flesh. And so it feels like that's separate yet Mm -hmm. somehow they're inseparable. And so I feel like I can kind of get to an answer maybe, but it never feels like satisfying. So some of that stuff does feel challenging even for me to know. Yeah. To know how to explain some of that stuff or make sense of some of it. I do think one of the things we did in the class was instead of starting by trying to understand everything, we basically just started by saying, here's what the Bible says is Mm -hmm. true about God. And we're going to hold to that. And we're going to try to understand it as best we can. But ultimately I don't think we're going to understand all of it. And so we hold to what we believe is true while we kind of study it, try to know more about it, but also humbly saying it is a concept that is beyond our Mm. grasp. A lot of God is a mystery. That doesn't mean that we should just forego any knowledge of who God is and trying to learn who he is, but also coming to the realization that, hey, Like, that's what faith is. We don't have all of the answers, but we can go to scripture and say, yep, this is exactly how God describes himself. He is three in one. And further than that, it might get to a place where you have to say, you know what? God is God and we won't be able to understand everything. That's good. So with that, knowing that we won't be able to understand everything about God, but we also have his word, which allows us to understand certain things, we are going to attempt to answer some questions today. Let's start with the first question. Yesterday at the class, someone asked, how do I use the Bible to describe the Trinity to a non-believer? Because when I use the Bible, it feels like 
I need another source. Like the Bible isn't enough because maybe that person believes that the Bible isn't inerrant. How do I describe the Trinity without using the Bible? So basically because we have a different view on the Bible, if we use that, I would say even if they believe it is, it's filled with mistakes and stuff, I think any other textbook or any other line of reasoning or philosopher, we would also say is not perfect in their knowledge. So even if we're using the Bible and they want to use another quote unquote textbook or some source of truth, I'm pretty sure most people would say, you know, that aren't Christians, that their their source of truth isn't also infallible. So it's, it's not like mm-hmm. they're saying this is fully true, completely, always, but the Bible's not. I think we're both coming at it in their view with something that we're trying to make sense of, but any sort of resource in their view, we would say the Bible is infallible, which means it doesn't make any mistakes. But in their view, we would both be coming from it with resources that may be really good and helpful, but maybe not perfect. So I think even on that basis, we could still use the Bible. Now we would say it is perfect and it's divine truth. And so I think that that always has to be our first step. And the Lord promises that he actually works through his word. And so giving that truth, he can actually work through that still. Um, I do think in a lot of ways, if there are ways outside of the Bible to back that up and to show, hey, this is what the Bible says, but also in the world, like we kind of see this Mm. here. I think that can be helpful. The Trinity is a little bit unique in that it's, that's a little bit different um, because there's a not, there's not a lot of ways. I don't know of any that you can back up God as triune Mm -hmm. from something in the world. So I understand the, the complexity there, but I would say it's still in their mind. It has to still be some sort of historical resource that people have believed for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And so I think we still need to hold to that as true and then try to make the best arguments for how that makes sense or why that matters off of that. Yeah. Does that help at all? Yeah. I think that's really good because especially scholars and people who are non-believers can say that, yes, the Bible is a historical artifact and that places in the Bible, letters in the Bible, manuscripts, I think you had said earlier are actually found in multiple places or what is it? Yeah, that they are found in different regions. I mean, the Bible's written over a long, long period of time, years and years and years and years. And all these manuscripts are remarkably similar. So there's really no other book like it to where you have all these different manuscripts that are almost exactly identical in different regions and different places over the span of thousands of years that are all the same Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part. And so that's a remarkable evidence that there's something unique about this book. Now, I think there's a lot more, but to the point of even if they don't think it's from God, it still is a really incredibly highly um, reliable Mm -hmm. historical book. Even if that's all they think it is, there's something to this um, that I think you can still base that off of. And then again, you can kind of build off that afterward. Yeah, I think that's good. Let's do some quick questions. I'll just rapid fire ask you these. Let's do it. Was God the Father the one who created creation or were all members of the Trinity present? All members of the Trinity were were present. Really? Yeah. Jesus was present? Do you not believe that? Well, no, I do believe that. Because there's that verse that says like something about help it to be as I was with you from the beginning of time. Yeah. This may not be helpful for this conversation. I don't think Jesus was present. What? I think the son of God was present, but the son becomes Jesus in the incarnation. Oh. So Jesus as a man 
is the incarnate son of God who now is ruling and reigning forever. I don't know if this is going to trip people up, so this may not be helpful, but I think the, the Trinity, the father, the son and the Holy spirit were all present at creation. That's a lot longer of a conversation, but it does make sense of, yeah, his incarnate flesh would be called Jesus, but we also see son of God. Yeah. Eternally, he is the son of God. That's who the second member of the Trinity is. And as he becomes again, incarnate just means like he, he comes down to earth. He puts on flesh as a human, that, that person, the divine God, man, the human Jesus, that that's who Jesus is, who is now ruling and reigning as the son of God and Jesus, Mm. which is confusing. We see in Genesis one that the spirit is hovering over the waters, but we don't see anything about the son of God. So why don't you think he's mentioned? My quick answer would be that Genesis is not trying to give a a full theology of the Trinity. So just because like Mm. something is mentioned there doesn't mean that it all has to be explained. But in John one, it says in the beginning was the word, which later in John, we find out the word is equivalent to the son of God. So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Mm. So, and it goes on in him was life and the life was the light of men. So John one is going back to creation. He's starting his gospel like Genesis started and he's saying, who is there? Well, this word, which we find out later is the son of Mm. God. So you have the spirit and you have God. So oftentimes the Bible just talks about God creating, which we usually refer to as the father. But we also see in some of these places that the spirit and the son were also there. One other place that's a little bit different is a Psalm. Psalm 33, six says by the word of the Lord. So again, we have this word idea, which again is usually equated, especially from John looking back is the son, but the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath which is the same word for spirit mm. of his mouth, all their host. So that breath that's like making all these things is the same word in Genesis one that says like his word was going out, his voice was going out. Well, we see the spirit of God hovering and then this breath spirit is the one that's doing all the creation. So uh, I think there's multiple places that you could go, but I would say all members are present and taking part in creation. That's helpful. The other question we had was, I've heard King Jesus a lot, but in Luke and Colossians, it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, which implies God is seated on the throne. So wouldn't God the Father be king or are they both king because they're one? That's a good question. Very insightful. I love it. What's your thought? I would say they are both king because they are one. However, I do think it's really interesting that God the Father would be on the throne and then Jesus is at his right hand because that makes it seem like there's a hierarchy, but we've already proven that there's not and they're equal. Yeah. I do think that God is King in that, that King imagery is saying like ruler, Lord reigning overall. So more than just specifically the idea of just being a singular King, it's the idea that God is ruling and reigning over a, people, a place, mm. whatever it might be. I think Jesus, as as he comes, he is the king of God's people. Again, I would say the, the imagery there is slightly different in that God is redeeming now a people out of this and they need a shepherd or king to basically lead them back to the father. And that's the role that he has. Now, what's interesting mm. is that 
in first Corinthians 15, 24, it says, then comes the end when he, which is Jesus delivers the kingdom to God, the father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So Jesus is essentially being the king that God's people needed. So if you look throughout the old Testament, God's people need a leader. They need this king to lead them to back to God. And that's what Jesus does. And then he's handing the kingdom, it says back over to God. So he's done his work, Mm -hmm. destroying the evil, redeeming the people, and he's handing it to God. But then I think as the triune God, they rule and reign. If you think of the most broad sense of what a king is, that's what the triune God does Mm -hmm. over the kingdom. It's just that Jesus is the one who functions as the leader of God's people who can redeem them and bring them back to God. Okay. Interesting. I think it's hard too, because we can only compare it to what our finite minds understand. So like if I think of a king and someone at his right hand, I automatically think, oh, well, that person's lesser or not equal, but also kind of like you said, if they're all ruling and reigning together, but Jesus has that primary, would you say role or function? Yeah. The the way that I would kind of think about the right hand thing, I could be wrong on this. I haven't really done any research on this. My thought or the way I read that is, almost that Jesus takes his place of honor next to God because nobody else Mm. sits on a throne near God. Like nobody else has that place. So to me, that almost more in human language gives the imagery of Jesus as God rather Mm. than he's kind of a secondary God because he's at the right hand because no one else goes to the right hand of the father. Like that is a, that that's a unique space where God alone is on the throne Yet in Revelation 4, it says when, when the lamb who was slain takes the scroll, he, he finishes his work of salvation. He then goes to the right hand of the father. To me, I, I guess I've just understood that as he's taking his place of honor with mm-hmm. God as God. I don't know. I guess I haven't thought through that a ton. Yeah. It's a good question to think about. I've never actually really thought about that much. Let's head to the next question. How should acknowledging the triune God affect how we pray? Do I pray to Jesus and then the Father and then to the Holy Spirit? You know what? I'm struggling with the same thing. So I don't know. I mean, I think most of our staff team was. As we were working through this stuff, that's one of the practical applications of the Trinity is that it affects our prayer life. And it's one of the things that can be pretty challenging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really difficult to wrap your head around because you can get so stuck on, okay, well, am I saying father and am i praying to him correctly same with the spirit and the son and then you start getting focused on all your words and it's like i'm not even communing with god now yeah i'm just focusing on all three separately i'll give an answer to the question but i think it's helpful to follow up to what you just said to say god does want our hearts and he wants our like childlike dependence on him and the humility of knowing i'm not going to get all of everything right when i pray daily i'm sure i say things that are a little bit theologically inaccurate, or I should say different. And the Lord knows my heart and knowing I'm just trying to talk to him and I'm going to screw up. Even when we're doing this podcast, there's things we have to edit out because you you just, you screw up, you say something wrong. You're like, wait, that's not what I meant. He knows that stuff. And so I think as best we can, we try to know that the Lord just wants our heart and our like relationship with him more than all of our theologically accurate ways of praying or even just the making sense of it. I think theological accuracy is important, but don't let that overshadow just your communing with God and knowing that he knows your heart in prayer. Yeah, no, I think that's a good piece of advice. I think it is hard though, because yeah. you also want to be able to speak to the Lord in a sense accurately. Yeah. When I asked you this question earlier, you had said, well, do you call your dad mom? 
Would that be kind of weird? I mean, he would know what you meant, but wouldn't that be kind of weird and like hinder some sort of deeper understanding of who he is? And I still think that's true in reference to the Trinity of if we are able to pray to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit within their unique ways that they interact with us as one God, it would probably be better than just kind of fumbling our way through it without even caring about a little bit learning more. Yeah. I think how I would encourage that is not to focus so much on how do I pray to each one or how do I like make sure I'm saying that right, but focus more on knowing the Trinity, knowing what each member does, like what they're doing for you in salvation and Christian life, like all of that and let that kind of overflow in your talk. I feel like that's what's been helpful to me is not trying to like systematically think what are the things the spirit does so that when I'm praying, I can go back to this mental list and figure it out. But just more, the more I know about God and each member of the Trinity, that slowly shapes then how I pray because now it's in my heart. So it's not just in my head, in my heart when I know like how the gospel and what specifically Jesus has done in the cross has taken away some shame that I feel in life. Like I know that that primarily is coming because all my shame was put on the cross of Jesus and he paid the penalty and basically God saw him as shameful and poured his wrath out on that so that I don't have to feel that. So I'm going to, I'm going to be grateful to Jesus that he actually did that. Now that's not just a mental category. That's because I know what Jesus has done and it's overflowing in my prayers that I'm not going to say, you know, spirit, thank you for dying on the cross Mm -hmm. and taking my shame because I know Jesus did that. And so I think the more you know about the Trinity, the more that should just overflow. So I would say, do your best. Try not to get too wrapped up in it. With all that being said, the simplest way to see it is that we primarily, I think, pray to the Father. So Jesus even said in the Lord's Prayer, we address in our prayers to God as Father, our Father who art in heaven. So I think we primarily are praying to the Father but we have access to the father because of what Jesus has done for us. Mm -hmm. So why do we say at the end of our prayers in Jesus name, because he primarily hears our prayers on the basis of our union with Jesus. So he always listens Mm -hmm. to his son and because we're redeemed and in his son, he hears us. So everything we ask, everything we pray is in Jesus name because that's how he hears us and how we're praying or how we have words to pray or Romans eight says it's the spirit that's actually interceding and helping us pray. So maybe you could say we pray to the father through Jesus by the power of the spirit. Now there's a lot more you could say on that, but just on a very basic level, I feel like that's maybe helpful to understand prayer. Yeah. But also if someone were a really new believer and just prayed to God alone, he would still hear their prayers. Yes. Right. It's not that they have to say in Jesus's name, Lord. Da, 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 da. No, he hears us in Jesus name, no matter if you say it or not. Yeah. But I think it's a healthy practice to say it as a reminder for us, as a way of gratitude for us. And as a, that's a theologically accurate truth that if you've learned, you should probably name it just because it's a good thing to know. Like I have the ear of the father eternally because I'm praying in Jesus name and by the power of his own spirit. His spirit's giving me the words to go through Jesus to get to the Father. That's good. One more question. How is something that isn't fully understandable, the Trinity, supposed to bring me to a place of adoration or worship rather than just a place of confusion and apathy? My first thought is that when we see something in scripture like the Trinity that is hard 
and I would say almost impossible to get our minds around because it is a, a great mystery for our finite minds to grasp. It shouldn't lead us to a place of apathy, although I would say confusion in maybe a holy sense is okay. It should lead us to a place of worship because God says that he is holy, which means he's set apart. He's above us. He is a creator while we are his finite creation. So the fact that God is greater than what we can comprehend means that he is God and we are not God, right? Mm -hmm. So if we could fully comprehend him, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be just a finite creature. We would be, our minds would be on par with God. And the fact that we're not, it's actually a really good thing. And it should drive us to worship because we worship things that are great and have great value and have great, um, just have a greatness about them. And the fact that God is so much greater than us than we, that we can't even fully grasp and comprehend exactly how he is, who he is means his greatness is so far above us that that, that is why we worship him. The other thing I would say is once you know the Trinity, even though you don't fully understand it all, and you understand that the Trinity helps us see God as love, as generous, as compassionate, and is so good to us. Even if you don't fully grasp how the whole triune God works, just that basis alone means that he created you and he loved you and he saved you, not because he needed you at all for anything, because he had everything that he needed within himself as a triune God. So everything he does is simply an act of grace and generosity and love, nothing else. There's no other reason that he created us other than to share in his own like triune love and relationship that he's now calling us into. And so that should also bring us to a place of worship, I think. I also think if people are feeling apathetic about learning more about God or things that they can't quite understand. I mean, we had had a conversation about this, Andrew, where you had basically said that when we get to a place of apathy, sometimes we're focusing more on the mechanics of how something works or why it does rather than actually enjoying God for who he is and having a personal relationship with him. So for instance, the doctrines of grace, after we talked about how all of that functions and works, I felt a little bit apathetic and I had other people come up to me and say, yeah, I kind of feeling apathetic. I don't really understand everything that I thought about God is different than I thought. And I just don't know how to make sense of it. I do think that what you had said about focusing on the mechanics rather than on your personal relationship with God is what really does fuel that apathy. So the same with the Trinity. If we're trying to focus on just how we figure it out rather than taking a step back and saying, man, I have a relationship with God and God, this is amazing that I can't comprehend you perfectly is a lot better place to be rather than slipping into a hopeless despair of, wow, I just can't get it or I can't focus on it. Thank you for joining us today. The goal of the Christian Formation Podcast is to form disciples to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. If you want to find out more about us, check us out at ProvidenceOmaha.org. If you have podcast topics, comments, or questions, please email us at formation at ProvidenceOmaha.org. We'll see you next week.